First, the thing that's amazing to me is God does not do anything, according to Amos, that he doesn't first reveal it to the prophets. We can see this over and over again. We can see it in the hundreds of prophecies about Christ um, in Isaiah. In fact, let's turn there first. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7 and 9. In Isaiah 7, now this is written by the prophet Isaiah 600 years before it ever happened. So we know he's a prophet. In fact, he went some, through some things. He was an unusual prophet. He actually lost his life for being prophetic. It was pretty, uh, he's one of those in the, in the scriptures about the world was too good for them. In the faith chapter in Hebrews, it says that some were fed to lions and some were sawed in half. He was one of those who really paid a price for his prophetic gifting. And yet, he was amazing, one of the most amazing to tell the story of what was going to take place. In Isaiah 7, Isaiah writes of the sign of Emmanuel. It's kind of wild to think that a virgin would conceive, but that was the prophetic word. And the Lord did it that way to, one, amaze the Jews. They needed a sign. He said, this will be a sign unto you. In fact, if you read later, in the Romans chapter 11, it speaks when the full number of Gentiles has come into the kingdom, it says all Israel will be saved. That's an amazing prophetic word that's going to take place. And it actually, the moves of this are already unfolding. Our connections with Israel and what's taken place there, the openness when uh, the Orthodox Jew, uh, Gil Olochevich, came here and was healed twice in two different separate services by children, miraculously, and he goes back and tells Prime Minister Netanyahu what happened, and he says, you need to go tell the generals on the IDF forces about that as well. These things are unfolding in a major, major blessing, right? So we see the Jews needed a sign. Well, here's Isaiah saying, a virgin will conceive. That's in Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive the child, giving birth to a son, and call him Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. Turn over two chapters, the hope of the Messiah. He gives the child, but that is just the beginning of what he promised. In Isaiah 9, in verse 6, for a child is born to us and a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God. A child is born, but he's a mighty God. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the everlasting Father. This is the one triune God. God in me, God in you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. John 17, he says, Father, let them be one as we are one. This is that everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's a point I love. His government and its peace will never end. Can you imagine a government with peace? Wow, that would be different. He will rule with fairness and justice. Boy, that would be different. And the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies, will make this happen. Whoa. Now, if the 400 plus prophecies of Jesus' birth were fulfilled to every jot and tittle, you can remember and believe that God is about to do something new in our day. So I want us to see in these prophetic words that he says this in Micah 5.2, in Zephaniah, Zechariah. I love in Zechariah where he goes on. We studied this last 
earlier in the year, Zechariah 12, if you want to look at 12, 13, 14, it says, there will come a time when all Israel will look at the one that whom we have pierced, and they will recognize him. That's an Old Testament prophet, a Jew, telling that to the Jews. When that happens, the fulfillment of that Romans 11 prophecy, not everybody's going to get saved, but those that are living at that time, and it says all Israel, those who belong to Israel, will be saved. What an amazing prophecy. Let's turn to Micah 5.2. One of the minor prophets, we don't often look there. Go back to Micah. So if you get to place, get to Jonah and go right. Get to Habakkuk and go left. <laughs> there he is, Micah. Let's look at Micah chapter 5 for a moment, beginning in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, though you be among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. Now that is amazing. What Micah is telling us is, you may be a small little town, Bethlehem, but something really big is going to come out. In fact, the ruler, he's going to be from old. This is this prophecy and from everlasting. This is the eternal, everlasting God. Always was, always is, has existed from the beginning. Will, and so what Micah is telling us is, this child that's going to come out of Bethlehem, he always was. That's the fulfillment of John's scripture that I read at the beginning of the, of the service in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with us. He goes on and he says, He will be a ruler that will come out from among you whose origins are from the distant past. That's what the New Living Translation says. The people of Israel will be abandoned by their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. You can see where the Jews might have been confused when Jesus was born. They thought, well, the ruler's here. He's going to overthrow the Roman government, right? So you can see they missed between the first coming and the second coming when they talk about this in the prophetic. Well, look at the outline. It says, I like what he does. He says, our God does things. He really likes to do big things in a small and seemingly insignificant people and places. He came in a baby in a most insignificant little town as a baby king, born of an unwed virgin, in a stable, protected by a simple carpenter who would listen to God in his dreams, and this king's birth would be announced to shepherds and sought after by Gentile kings. If you think about it, it's like, could you get any more humble, any more insignificant, any more worldly accusations against Mary? What a time it must have been. Can you imagine Elizabeth? First of all, we know the, uh, Gabriel tells, the angel tells Mary that your, your cousin is going to have a child as well, John the Baptist. Now, she's old. I don't know if she would be embarrassed, but I don't know, ladies, if you were like really, really old 
and got pregnant, would you be like the talk of the village? Like, what's Zachariah been up to? Or, you know, what? wow, you know. And so there's this, like, he comes with this, if he can put you in strange and compromising positions as far as the world is concerned, that's what he does. And sometimes he tells you to do things that are just really, like, out there, right? And so he, he just, he just kind of likes to, I don't know if it's because he can, and he can, or he just likes to, I wonder if they'll do what I said. And we know that amazing prophecy when Elizabeth is six months pregnant where Jesus is just probably a little zygote. When you look at from the time of the prophetic word that was given that she would conceive, she immediately goes on a journey to find her cousin. And you know what happens. When she walks in the room, the six-month pregnant Elizabeth, who, by the way, says she stayed in, she didn't go outside. She was, but when the babe walks in the room, there's this prophetic word that says, the mother of my Lord has come. And John the Baptist, already filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb, flips. That ought to be a statement about choosing life, right? And so we already know from the beginning that this prophetic move of God and how he did it in these most insignificant people and the simpleness of it, he just, he just comes. That's a good word for us. Is the teaching point, don't overlook the innocent. Don't overlook the homeless man. Don't overlook the one that's struggling with addiction right now. They may be in a tough place, but that doesn't mean they don't know the Word of God or God would not even use them among us. Let us never be a people that look our nose down on anyone. I remember a few years ago, I heard a story of a pastor. He took a month off in sabbatical, grew out his beard, didn't wash, got all dressed up in ugly clothes, found the ugliest things, and he came, so he came in with his disheveled hair and dressed up and smelly, and he sat in the back of the congregation. Several of the congregation moved away from him, didn't talk to him, didn't treat him the same as the person who came in with the tie. And they all wondered, well, pastor's supposed to be back. Anybody seen pastor? Where is he? Came time to give the sermon. He got up and he came to the front, and he delivered a powerful sermon. Let us not be those who, Jesus hung out with notorious sinners. We read that a couple weeks ago, right? And he got blamed by the religious guard about their stuff. And did anybody know? Or the woman who, if he knew who that woman was that was touching him, she was unclean. And even their culture, she takes a year's salary, breaks open the perfume bottle and pours it on his feet and then washes his feet with her hair. And Jesus gives a sermon Throughout all of eternity, you're going to read about her. Let us not look down on those that are seemingly less significant. God may be using that or testing us in the midst of it. I love that part where he says in the book, sometimes we entertain angels unaware. Wouldn't it be awesome? Maybe not so awesome. You get to heaven, and the one that might have been rejected is the one who's sitting there. Do you remember me? Oh. Yeah. Mm. Lord, let that not be this place. God reveals his plans and purposes. There are number one in Amos 3, 7. We need to take note of this. Those who were not happy about the election, I, I pray for you. And, uh, but listen, it was prophetically shown. It's, I can give you, I've got them on my cell phone. Somebody wants to get them. Download them. You can go online. Look up Kim, Kim Clement. 
2007, Kim Clement was at Pastor Bill Johnson's church. He prophesied that Trump would be a trumpet to the nation. He would come in, not, a savior, not as a believer, and go out spirit-filled. Now, that's a prophetic word. Lance Wallenau, some of you know Lance. They, he risked all of his, well, his position. Said Trump's going to get elected. I shared with you Mark Taylor's prophecy that our friends in Israel have vetted him. In 2011, he prophesied that Trump, he said Trump was on the television, and there was a prophet, he just said, here's a, retire, a, a, a fireman who's on disability, Mark Taylor, 2011, before Trump ever ran, and he was on the TV for, I don't know, his reality show or something, and the Holy Spirit said to him, he's going to be the president. And he goes, what, Lord, now, come on now. And he started praying into that. He, started, he told his wife, he told his pastor, he told his friends, he says, I'm telling you, he's going to be the president. They all said, whatever. Right? Well, guess what? Israel is now vetted. I got a report from, from uh, David Decker, pastor friend in Israel. Israel has vetted him. They talked to his wife, his, his pastor, his friends, his co-workers. Did he talk about that in 2011? He goes, yeah, let me tell you what else he said. He said 2012 will be the year of the horse. He goes, what does that have to do with anything? He goes, because here, when the next triple crown winner wins, Trump will be president. 37 years ago was the Triple Crown winner. Guess who won the Triple Crown? American Pharaoh. She was, he was, he or she, probably Phil, was born in 2012. It was the year of the horse. And won it this year after 37 years to a Jewish family who lives in Jersey, who loves the United States and are Egyptians, who love Egypt as well and love Israel. Now, come on. You look at a prophecy and say, that's really crazy. Why? So, because why? Because God said, look, it'll be so crazy when you hear it in advance, you'll think the guy needs to maybe be drug tested, right? But if it comes true, then you better think about what I just told you. And we need to get over all this angst and say, look, I, it is what it is. And God would take a Cyrus like he did 150 years in the Old Testament before Jews had to go back under Ezra to the land and bring a Cyrus, and Isaiah writes the prophetic word down, there will be a Cyrus that will be born. 150 years later, when Cyrus the king reads that, says, well, that's me. I'll help you, and sends them back to rebuild the temple. God can do these things, and so we just need to get excited that it's in the book, and everything he said, therefore, everything he says about what he's gonna do is also gonna take place. And we ought to get excited as a bunch of believers says, God, I love the story of the new, but he's coming back, not as a baby in a manger. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He may have come in an innocent place. He may have come in a, well, unknown to anyone except the shepherds and the little children. But guess what? When he comes back, that eastern sky is going to split wide open, and everybody's going to see him, and every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess. Whether you believe it or not, he is the Lord of Lords. That ought to get us really excited, and it ought to also move us into a place of, are you ready? Are you ready? This is not a year to sit on the sidelines. In fact, there were prophetic words. I was just down in Florida with Jack Taylor and Charles Karen and, and R.T. Kendall were there, and, and it was just an amazing time. Prophetic words says, Jack Taylor said, our papa of the house here, he said, this is going to be an amazing year, son. There's going to be sudden deaths, and there's going to be sudden things, and it's time to really be in a place of reverential humbleness before God. 
as a warning. And it's a place for us, as a, we want to start this year in both fasting and prayer, getting our act together in the place of there's areas of your life, my life, we need to get to this place where, Lord, we want to, not that we earn righteousness, but righteousness is a choice. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom. Well, how are we doing that in our lives? Then he goes on, he says, well, what is this kingdom? Romans 14, 17 says this, the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God is righteousness, right living, right thinking, right behaviors. Righteousness is. And so it is, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace. You can't get peace in this world without the prince of peace, without his righteousness. In fact, Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5, he says, I think 11 times I counted, he says, you have been made righteous by him. Boy, that's good news. Lord, you, you know, I need to be made righteous. It's by the blood of Jesus, the royal blood, that when we come and we shed, we sit down and we recognize the shed blood was for us, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't do this. I'm sorry. That's why he said in Rome in Acts 8, Acts 19, the first thing the disciples do when they get to Samaria, we see them, it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Acts 19. No, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What do they do? That's the first thing they do. You need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8, it says, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. And as soon as they came and laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came and they spoke with new languages. Come on. You can't find kingdom. It's defined as righteousness, right living, right thinking, the peace, the peace of God, the prince of peace, and the joy that comes. The, both the peace and the joy are the outcomes of righteousness. So come on. Let's make a, a if we ever made a resolution... God, I know I can't work it up in my own strength, but by the power of the Holy Ghost, I can do the things you've called me to do this year. We can see the supernatural. What would happen if we could just find a hundred in this body that would just go after you in righteousness and in heartfelt desires? We would stop all the run in our mouth and all the judgments and all the criticism against powers that be and the principles and power. Just We just... I read an article in Charisma yesterday, just came in, I, I encourage you. There was an, a, reckon, a recommendation there that we would speak no evil and speak no negative the whole year. That was his resolution. I think it was Steve Strang said, yipes, that's probably the hardest fast you'd ever have. Lord, just like, mm, let me if we could be like a Barnabas, an encourager, what would happen if the people were righteous and we walked in that righteousness? God might say, you know what? I'm just going to go and pour out a blessing on this body. One of our Spanish young ladies last night came up. She said, Pastor, I have a really, really strong word that God is going to pour out a refreshing that prodigals that have been wandered away and have been away from families for years, this is going to be the year of coming back. But Pastor, this is the most exciting things. We're going to see a supernatural move of God, signs and wonders that the only way to define what it came was God himself moved. It won't by the move be the, come on, if we, that's a word. 
If Amos said it as a prophetic word, why don't we pull that down in and say, come on, God, we want to see the blind eyes open. We want to see the tumors disappear. We want to see the dead raised. We want to see the lost come in. Come on. If God, we want to see cancers broken. We lost too many this year. Our hearts are broken. But those that went on, they're, they're, they, they got their promotions. They're on that other side of the cloud of witnesses. But I think of my best friend, Phil Walls, Greg Basker, my sister-in-law. So many that have gone before. Loved ones that you have. Come on. Lord, we just pray right now. Lord, that cloud of witnesses joining in, that tilting of the balance. We know now that there are more believers on this side of heaven than on that side of heaven. That means that, Lord, we can join together with that cloud of witnesses and pull this in. All it requires is the act of our will. Come on, let's get excited about doing this. If you move on, it reveals these. God, God likes places, and, and this, I just love him to just look here and say, look, I like Wilmington. I like Wilmington. And he would just like show up. He said, prophetically, we've seen in 1975 from Derek Prince and for Dr. Woodhouse that southeastern North Carolina has found favor with you. And he's going to manifest a, an outpouring greater than the Welsh revival. Well, what if it's this year? Why couldn't it be this year? He likes certain places. He didn't just say that to tantalize us or tease us. Let's look at this. There's certain places in, why don't you turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. God seems to like certain places, and Bethlehem is one of them. I just pulled out some things that happened in Bethlehem. Well, first of all, we know that David grew up there. He was a shepherd. So he's out taking care of the sheep. You know, the, Saul gets all messed up. He, he, was, he was God's first choice. But because of his unrighteous behavior, his jealousy against David, his witchcraft pursuits, they says, I'm sorry I ever made Saul my king. And he sends Samuel, and Samuel then says, stop and go. Look at chapter 1 Samuel 16, 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. I've selected one of his sons to be my king. That's interesting. Why didn't he just tell him it's David? Why? He's, is he, well, he's the prophet. I guess he's supposed to know, right? But it just helps us that he shows up and he brings Jesse's sons out. He brings all the, there were three of them that were in the army. So they must have been tough looking dudes. They're the oldest sons. He goes through each one. You know the story. Samuel looks, no, it's not him, no. It's not him, no. It's not him, no. Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by appearance or height. There it is again. We need to behave and listen to the fact that sometimes the least of these will bring us a message that we need to hear. So I have rejected him. It says, it goes on. He says, I don't judge, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the seven sons were presented to Samuel. And finally Samuel says, no, this, this is not it. You got any others? You got, you got any more? Well, yeah. Verse, at the bottom there says, I got this young one, Jesse, said. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep and the goats. Now go get him. As soon as he comes in, verse 13, the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him, 
So David stood there among his brethren. Samuel took the olive oil flask, brought and anointed David with the rest of the oil. And the, can you imagine this? He's got a flask of oil. I've been in some churches. They, you know, it's not this little dabble do you stuff, right? It, it's it's not these. It they they got this like. I was in an African American church. I mean, man, are we going to have like spaghetti or something? No. And I, they this is it. <laughs> Can you imagine him standing there with his brothers, the big dudes, and he's the youngest one, and he's now flowing with oil all over himself, and they declare from the prophet of Israel the most highest honor. In fact, he brought fear. When the Samuel the prophet walked into town, the whole town got nervous. Have you come to declare judgment on us? So when the prophet of Israel pours a flask over the little boy's head and says, this is the king of Israel. Now, you know what the rest of the story is on that, right, Paul Harvey? How many years later, how many times did Saul try to murder him? His jealousy, David's killed his 10,000, Saul's killed his 1,000, the jealousy starts, and then the witch of Endor, all of his mess, and then he's rejected, his whole family is killed. Come on. All right, moving back on. Let's look at what else happened in Bethlehem. Well, we know that the sweet water, remember this? In 2 Samuel, I listed there in, in 3B. 2 Samuel 23, we won't turn there, and also in 1 Chronicles 11. Remember where David is now battling the Philistines, He's, his mighty men? I love the time. I just got a prophetic word. Here goes along another one. Leif Hetland, some of you know Leif Hetland. He's led a million and a half Muslims to the Lord. In Florida, he stopped in the middle of his sermon. He pulled me and goes, you're about to enter the Hebron season. I said, Hebron season? He goes, the cave of Abdullah is over. The cave of Abdullah is where the cranky, complaining, couldn't get it together group, and David ministered to that cranky group and invested in them for eight years in a cave while Saul tried to murder him. And then he says they entered into the Hebron season. You can look it up. And they now come with their gifts and their support and their joys. I said, ooh, I think I like that season. Well, this is also in that season when the mighty men, the 30 mighty men that were raised up by David, these are giant killers. In fact, David then says, he says, boy, wouldn't it be awesome, even though the Philistines are holding, it's behind enemy lines, Bethlehem, that sweet water of the beautiful well right by the gate in Bethlehem, what I wouldn't give for a cup of that right now. See, God not only makes Bethlehem beautiful, selects the place, he makes the water good. And what do they do? The mighty men said, let's go. And they break through the Philistine lines just to get a cup of water, bring it back to David, said, here, my king, there's the Hebron season. You wanted it? Here it is. I mean, you guys risked your lives. I can't drink this. I'm going to pour this out as an offering unto God for you. Well, talk about honor versus honor. There's a lot in that one you could preach on. Anyway, the sweet water of Bethlehem. How about the mighty men in 1C? There are giant killers. Not only David, but Elahanan was another one. There were, there were five giants killed. David only killed one. Four others were killed. Was it five or six giants? Anyway, we know that there's another giant killer that comes out of Bethlehem. So something about that place that was in the water and it was in the spirit and it was there. David, Jesse. What about the other ones? Boaz, in number three there. Boaz, Jesus, David, they all came out of Bethlehem. God likes places, and he likes some things that are even insignificant. So don't turn our nose or our eyes. There might be a place where the Lord says, this 
could be a place where I'd like to manifest my presence. The other thing I want to close on here, number four, God's plan is going to get fulfilled. I don't care how messed up the world is. I don't care that our president just took an act, the worst act he probably could have ever done his entire presidency or life. You need to pray for him that he will be protected because I'm not sure. This act he did in the United Nations the other day, the first time in 40 years the United States came out against Israel. Abstained in a vote. That means that the settlements that are now in the Jewish quarter are now illegal by international law. This is a significant, serious event. I don't care how messed up. Now, Mr. Trump says it's going to be different. In fact, John just wrote an, read an article this morning in Intercessory Prayer that Mr. Trump has said he will be the most pro-Israeli president ever in the history of the world. That prophetic word came out of Israel as well that we're going to see a time of prosperity in Israel we've never seen in the world before. And if the, if, if the United States will stay aligned, then Genesis 12.3 will be fulfilled. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. This is a time, I don't care how messed up the world events look and what Syria looks like and we're cut out of the peace deal, God's having his plan. It's going to work out. It's going to, in all the chaos, every time the demons, every time Satan tried to kill Jesus, what happened? He tells Joseph, you need to get out of town. Get out of Bethlehem, go into Egypt. Then he's, when he sends all of his troops there, Herod sends the troops to kill two-year-old babies and below. How many times did the devil try to take Jesus? It isn't going to happen. It is not going to, God's going to have his way. And all he's looking for is a bunch of, he says, I'm looking in the earth. My eyes go to and fro in the earth, looking for someone I can show myself strong in. Let it be us, Lord. We want to, we say yes. Let's turn away from all the stuff that makes, the reality is once you're saved, it's just no fun to sin anymore. Come on. We're just not good at it anymore. It's like, it might have been pleasurable at one time. It's like, it's just too much. And you know what it is? Because there's a love in your heart that says, this is so unworthy of what I already love now. If he is God is love and he's put it in us, then that God is love in us will not allow us to do these things. It's just no, it, it, I trust, just trust me. We need to turn from that wicked ways and seek his holiness. If we'll do that, it says righteousness is both a weapon for offense and defense. Come on. God's plan is going to be fulfilled in the midst of all the, it may get dicey. It may get, maybe get, you got, you got these two great world leaders. Putin came out and said he's going to revolutionize his nuclear forces. And then you got Trump says, we're going to modernize ours. In fact, we're going to, until the world wakes up to the, we're going to have it. So you got, are we going to have another arms race? Is it going to get scary, dicey? Hey, God's in charge. And so we can be sure that if he told us what he was going to do before, and now he's told us what he's going to do, go read First Peter. Go read Revelation. Go read the promises in Ezekiel. There's a time coming when God is going to be lifted high on the throne. And all the flesh on the bones, those dry bones are going to come alive. 
And there's going to be a prophetic word. All the alignments are already there. Look in Ezekiel. That was written 3,000 years ago. And he said there would be a country, Iran, who would align with the ones who are north of Israel, Gog and Magog, go north of Jerusalem, and you'll find Moscow. They'll come from the distant north against my people in a day that is way time in the future. And there'll be an alignment. Libya, whoa, that alignment, interesting. And then we see Persia changed its name to Iran in 1937. Russia. The alignment that you already see in Syria right now on the border of the Golan Heights. Come on. Who knows how close this thing is? The prophets told us it was coming about, and it is standing at the door. What a reason for us to be ready. That God, when you come, you'll find a people waiting for you, working to advance the kingdom, to host your presence, to bringing the truth. That's what he wants. That's what he promised. That's what Christmas started. God's love in action. This newborn king would become the lion of the tribe. And we're in that tribe. It says your name has been written in the Lamb's book. Before we close this service, if you're here this morning and you want to start this year, you want to start this year fully committed. Maybe you've wandered off. Maybe you're in a place where, man, I just got areas in my life that I'm, I just want to get rid of. I want, to, I want those to be... I want to rededicate my life, and I want to stand. Remember, Jesus hung on a cross, mostly naked. He hung there on a hill for you and me. He goes on and he says, Jesus in the red letter says, if you be ashamed of me before men, then I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. But if you acknowledge me before men, then I will acknowledge you before my Father. So I want to just give an invitation. This thing about close your eyes, raise your hand, that's fine. But I want to, I just felt like this morning, Ike had a prayer in prayer this morning. He says, Lord, don't let this be a day that there isn't a salvation in the house. So I just want to follow through with that. What a great day. This Christmas morning, you can remember, day I rededicated my life or the day I surrendered it all. He may be your Savior, but is he your Lord? That's the question. If he's not Lord over all aspects of your life, he's not Lord at all. And so join me. I, I want him to be the one who is Lord over all areas of life. So if you're here this morning, let's stand to our feet. Sarah plays. If you'd like to come and just say, I, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus at all. And I'm also not prideful. If I got issues in my life, the Lord knows who they are and what they are. You don't have to tell us the details of it, but I do need you to pray with one of our prayer ministers. So I'm going to ask our ministry team if you'll come. You know who you are. You've been trained, equipped, released. If you'll come this morning and just stand here at the front. If you're here this morning, one, I need to dedicate my life again. I want to start over. I want to, I want to close this year. I don't care what's taking place. The Lord says there's no guilt and there's no shame and there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, he says, there is no condemning in Christ Jesus. The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Because then you are condemned. We thank the Lord. How about 
those who would like to give their lives completely just why don't you come this morning say, look, I'm going to make 2017 a new year for me. Lord, I'm dedicating my life, my circumstances to you. Why don't you just come and let's pray. Sarah's going to sing us out. Lord, I just pray now that the, the face of the Lord would shine upon you and give you peace. Lord, I thank you that they have come this morning to recognize and to honor the King that was born so many years ago that would one day become the Savior of the world.